It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck. Welcome, everybody. Mike McCarroll here with you in the front row. As always, behind the scenes, our creator, producer, and director, J.R. Quitman. Episode 46 here today. We're talking baseball, but not your typical baseball. Banana ball. Yes, Savannah Bananas. They have taken the country by storm in baseball. We talked to the owner, the creator of something special, Jesse Cole. He joins to talk about the big tour coming up, how this thing all got started, and yes, why the yellow tux, which he is wearing as well. All that and more. Special edition here. Very good one. Episode 46 of In the Front Row featuring Jesse Cole, the owner of the Savannah Bananas. All right. Well, uh, Jesse, thanks uh, again for joining us here today. I know you're uh, you're really busy because you're, you're right in the middle of preparing for a, a big tour coming up as well as you announced uh, a couple of weeks ago. How's that going so far? <laughs> uh, we've been blown away. I mean, there were a lot of things that didn't work. I mean, we we announced our live tour with a NFL style live draft, like an NFL draft, and uh, we had twenty eight thousand unique viewers watching to see where we play, and then fifty five thousand people went to our website at the same moment and shut down our website for forty eight hours. So, other than that, yes, in two weeks, uh, without tickets officially being on sale, just available for groups and K club members, we've sold more than we did total last year, over a quarter million tickets. So, it's pretty impressive what's happening. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a phenomenon right now. We're going to dive more into that but I want to dive more into you first because you're a Massachusetts kid you grew up playing baseball loving baseball where, where did that love where did that passion for the sport come from my dad you know my dad played baseball uh growing up in Connecticut loved the game taught me the game when I was young then I went to the South Shore Baseball Club a baseball facility and started playing like from when I was five years old and they called me a club rat they had an indoor baseball facility and I was like a rat because I never left I would always be in the batting cages always hitting always pitching and fell in love with the game and found out that I was pretty good and able to get a, you know, started having professional scouts watch me in high school, then got a scholarship to go down and play in South Carolina at Wofford College, one of the smallest Division One schools in the country, and started hearing from more professional teams and then uh, tore my shoulder, which was the best thing that ever happened to me in my senior year of college. Yeah, what was Wofford like for you? And, and, and why Wofford? Obviously, that's a good distance from you, from, from mm -hmm. you know, your home in Massachusetts, warmer in South Carolina, but, but what made Wofford the, the most sense for you? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of comp competition. You know, I was in Massachusetts back then. You know, I was one of only three people, pitchers, throwing in the 90s. So this was rare 20-plus years ago. And uh, Boston College offered me a scholarship. Northeastern offered me a full scholarship. University of Maine, every New England school, very fortunate, was interested in me. But, you know, it would snow on opening day sometimes on April, in April. And I was like, I don't want to play baseball in the cold anymore. And Wofford just kept upping their offer to give me one of the biggest scholarships ever offered to a player. And I saw they were playing Texas Tech, Georgia Tech, University of South Carolina, Clemson, Wake Forest, Duke. I mean, the schedule was unbelievable. And they said I'd have an opportunity to be an impact player right away, pitching and hitting. And they were right. I started every game, 15 games as a freshman, pitched almost 100 innings and had over 100 at-bats. And so I was very fortunate. Yeah, that's kind of rare these days in college baseball to be a two-way player like that. And as you said, you were kind of trending toward having an opportunity to to get drafted, play minor league, maybe major league baseball, and then the injury happened. Uh, what, what was that moment like for you? Definitely not major league baseball. I was on the verge prospect. All right, I put too much pressure on myself. I actually took the game too seriously, and that's something I've taken back to the bananas to make the game more fun. I put so much pressure because I was such a big scholarship guy that I had to deliver. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was a number one guy at a Division One school, throwing in the low nineties, and so yes, I had opportunities. And you know, I noticed my senior year, my arm started to hurt. I started to get you know a lot of pain in my shoulder. 
and Dr. Andrews saw my shoulder and I had three tears, the labrum and uh, two parts of the rotator cuff. And just like that, you know, boom, it was over. And I never, I never pitch again. So your career playing is over. What's going through your mind at that point? And, and, and what did you think your, your next step was going to be? <laughs> what the heck am I going to do? You know, for, <laughs> for 20 years, all I ever played was baseball. That was it. That was my life. That's why I went to school. That's all I knew. And so I talked to a lot of people, you know, people in my life. And they're like, oh, you'll go into coaching. Your dad was a coach. I mean, you know the game. You've, you're a pitcher. You're a hitter. You've played different positions. You've seen it all. You're a coach. And so I did. I went and coached in the Cape Cod League, which is, you know, arguably the best, um, some of the best players in the entire country. And so I coached there in the dugout with the best players in the entire country. Everyone went on to the majors and I was bored out of my mind. I was sitting there. I was like, it's fun to play, but it is miserably boring to watch. And at that point, I noticed that was my aha moment. Well, what if we made it fun to watch? What if we made it not just for people that understand the game? What if we made it fun for just anybody? And that's when I uh, got the job as a GM of a team in North Carolina at 23 years old. Yeah, the Gastonia Grizzlies, as you said, also in the Coastal Plain League where uh, the Savannah Bananas were playing in. Uh, so, so what was that opportunity like for you? And, and again, as you said, you thought the game was boring. When did you start trying to, to change it and, and make it more entertaining for the fans? Right away. I mean, especially with the fact that, you know, when I showed up my first day, there was $268 in the bank account. We had three full-time employees. Payroll was on Friday. The team had only 200 fans coming to the game, and the team had lost $100,000 the previous year. We had to do something. So I read every book by P.T. Barnum, Walt Disney, and I realized one very important thing. We're not in the baseball business. We're in the entertainment business. And so from there, I was like, hmm, could we have grandma beauty pageants? Could our players do choreographed dances? Could we have flatulence fun nights? Salute to underwear nights. Dig to China nights. Let's do it and let's try it. And that's where I started experimenting like crazy. And slowly but surely, we started selling out games there and end up fourth in the country in attendance. Was there anything off limits? Any, any crazy idea that, that was getting shot down internally? No, I was very fortunate. The owner of the team, Ken Silver, he owned minor league teams for about 20 years. And uh, he told, you know, he told me later, you never met anyone like me. You know, everyone was just trying to do the same thing as everyone else. I thought dramatically different. And so, you know, he let, you know, he let me say yes to, or he said yes to having a midnight game on a Friday night, which normally, you know, we draw a thousand fans and he's like midnight instead of one of our bigger nights, you're going to have a game at midnight. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Midnight madness. He goes, all right, Jesse, whatever you say. So I drew 4,200. And then, you know, great community give back game where we get all the sponsors and do free food for everyone in the community. And there were 4,000 people lined up an hour and a half before the game started. And, you know, he, he, he started saying, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. And there were a lot of things that didn't work. I mean, Flatulence Fun Night had a couple hundred people. Salute to Underwear Night was the most unfamily friendly night we could ever have. I mean, there were a lot of things that didn't work, but we learned faster than anyone else because we were experimenting more than anyone else. Yeah, marketing is great. You, you kind of find out what works, what doesn't, but you have fun doing it, obviously. So an opportunity came up. The Savannah Sandnats, I guess, at the time that the minor league team left and that ballpark was available, a team was available in the Coastal Plain League. What what was that like for you to take over and, and any hesitation to to become an owner of a team? No, I work fast. Uh, you know, I don't think about things going wrong. I mean, Emily, my wife, who's been my biggest supporter and, and we are in this together. You know, she was our director of fun in Gastonia. I proposed to her and sold out cr crowd in Gastonia. And then she surprised me next week with a trip to Savannah. And that's where we went to the ballpark. Saw there were less than 200 people. And we we're like, where is everybody? It was just the most dead, boring environment we ever seen. And that's when we reached out to the commissioner and said, if this team leaves, we're coming. But yeah, I mean, we just said this is a beautiful stadium, historic stadium why don't we try it? This is a fun city. Let's try it. And so we had this big dream, big vision, and we convinced the city to give us a shot and then proceeded to fail for six straight months really badly. 
what's that like that when you fail for six straight months? I mean, obviously you picked yourself up, but but how'd you keep it going? Well, to go from you know zero debt to one point eight million dollars in debt to run out of money, have to sell your dream house, uh, empty out your savings account, to be sleeping on an airbed and grocery shopping with just thirty dollars a week for you and your wife for all your food. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. A lot of fun. Uh, no, it was uh, it was challenging, but there were no other options. We had bought the team and we had owed a lot of money and we had young people, a 24 year old team president, three 22 year olds with us. We had a big expectation for ourselves. So we dug in and that's what we do. You got to get through the messy to get to the great. And it was extremely messy in the beginning, even got messier during our first few games. But then we learned and we learned faster than I think anyone else in sports and entertainment. What'd you see in Grayson Stadium? Because a lot of the ballparks in the Coastal Plain League, again, they're older ballparks, former maybe, you know, minor league or even professional ballparks at the time. What'd you see in that stadium that, that attracted you to that as well? Well, everything's perspective in life. You know, if you come from a brand new stadium and go to Grayson Stadium, you're like, this place is tough. But if you come from a high school park, a little legion park with, you know, metal bleachers and, you know, no covering and you walk into this majestic stadium that Babe Ruth played in, Hank Aaron and Lou Gehrig and Ted Williams and, you know, that FDR gave a presidential address to and that has actual locker rooms and has this actual souvenir store and, you know, has more than one concession stand. You're like, whoa, this is amazing. This is the most epic stadium I've ever seen. And so that's what it was for me and Emily. We saw the opportunity as opposed to seeing the challenges. And I think that's one of our recipes for success. We always see an opportunity. We don't see the adversity challenges and things we have to overcome. We see what we get to do as opposed to what we have to do. And that's just a different mindset. Yeah, it's a different perspective that a lot of people seems like they have these days as, as well. So, all right, you go there, you've got the team, you put up to a fan vote of what the team name is going to be, right? Obviously, it's the bananas that 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 won, and kind of the rest is history. Oh, it did not win. The bananas did not win. Oh, okay. It, it only won with us. There was only one vote for the Savannah Bananas. Not one person, other than Lynn Moses, a sixty-two-year-old retired nurse, wanted the bananas. Everyone hated it. When we named the team the Bananas, we got ripped apart. Whoever came up with his name should be fired. The owner should be thrown out of town. You guys are embarrassment to the city. You'll never sell a ticket. We were crucified. But it was part of our strategy. The bananas were fun. We had a bigger plan. We were going to have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. We were going to have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. We are going to have a mascot named Split. We were going to have a banana baby and a banana band and a breakdancing coach. We had all these ideas that were fun. And so they didn't know that at that point. And, you know, we hadn't played a game. So, of course, they would criticize us. But we got attention. For the first time, people knew who we were. And now that they knew who we were, at least we were on their radar. And that was the first step for us getting out of that airbed and uh, starting to have success. Yeah, obviously, if it's not the bananas, it's a totally different story, I think. So kudos to you for going against the fan vote and, and making it what it is. So you start again. It was a Coastal Plain League team starting in 2016. That's a, a summer college league team that used wood bats. But in your mind at that time, were you still thinking about, you know, a, a premier team, a travel team, something bigger than, than what it was? No, that's all we knew at the point. We just had to be able to sell tickets, get people to come out. We had to save Grayson Stadium. That was our mindset. Save this old, almost 100-year ballpark, get people to come. And that was it. And make it fun. You know, create the most fun team in sports. And we did. And then we started winning. We won the first championship. We won to the playoffs every year. You know, won our last two championships. And you know, it was really in 2018. You know, again, we didn't sell any tickets. We were struggling until we went to our, our first game and went all out with the banana nanas dancing and players, you know, delivering roses to little girls and a full show that the fans told everyone. And since that first season, we started selling out every game and our wait list was growing. But what we noticed was starting in 2018, fans would leave early every single 
game. No matter what the entertainment was, no matter how many spectacles we'd put into the game, fans would leave early every single game. So I said, we got a problem. You know, our whole mindset, our whole company's name is fans first entertainment. Every decision we make is fans first. Uh, entertain always. We ask those questions. What is fans first? And so we said, if we're really fans first, we got to create an experience where fans don't want to leave. I mean, when was the last time someone went to a movie? It was like, oh, that was a great movie. I left in the middle of it. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, you don't leave a concert. It's like, oh, best concert ever. Yeah, I left halfway through the set. Like, yeah. but in baseball games, that happens all the time. That's a fundamental problem. And incremental changes that have been happening recently to the game don't make a difference. So we said, what were all the boring parts of a baseball game? What were all the crazy ones, the, the ones that would make the game more fun? And we tested it in 2018 behind closed doors. And we played the first nine inning game in 99 minutes. And the players said it was the most fun they've ever playing. And we watched it and we couldn't take our eyes off it. We're like, we're on to something. And then for two, three years, we, we tested it before we actually did our one city world tour, another test of playing this. Then that went off crazy. And then we did seven cities last year, went to major league spring training homes and sold 8,000 tickets when the major league team only sold a thousand tickets. We're like, we're onto something. And so then we just went all in and said, this is where the future is. This is where we're going. This is what's best for fans. And that's the future. Part of it that makes it work as well, I would think would be the partnership and, and the partnerships you have with your employees and, and, one of the big ones is your manager and Eric Burns as well. Obviously, you're a high energy guy. He's a high energy guy as well. What what made you think that he's the perfect fit to to lead this and and do what we're trying to do here? Yeah. So you know he was our head coach uh, last year, and uh, we're very intentional on titles. So he's not the manager. Uh, we believe people don't want to be managed; they want to be led. Uh, we don't do training. Dogs are trained. Humans are coached. So like, there's a different mindset to all of the language. Very Disney like. So he was our head coach last year and our uh, premier team and brought a ton of energy. I mean, he was a star in the ESPN series, Banana Land, stole the show in many ways. And yeah, we uh, we just talked to him about what we were doing. He goes, I want to coach this team. And I was like, well, let's talk about it. So he, he joined us and, um, you know, we had Tyler Gillum as our head coach for five years, our collegiate team. And uh, when Gillum found out we were going all, all in, Gillum wanted to be a part of it. So we got him a part of it. And then Burns is going to be joining us when he can on the next tour. And I think we've got a crazy energetic coach and then an unbelievable development coach, uh, which, you know, Tyler Gillum is because he's had more players drafted than anyone else. We had 11 guys drafted and signed this past year from our college team. And so that's what also we're about is, you know, developing these players to be very special and unique while bringing energy and, uh, you know, an excitement to the game. And it's managing for you a lot of people. You know, when you look at the two teams, you've got the, the bananas, you've got the party animals, you've got your staff that's uh, doing a great job as far as, you know, the social media and everything else. How, how do you do all How do you get all that, you know, in line and, and do that piece of it with all this? Well, great leaders are great repeaters and they're great communicators and they share the same thing over and over again. All we talk about is fans first. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about sales. We don't talk about revenue. I have no idea what's in our bank account right now. I could care less. If our president says we're okay. We're okay. I'm focused on creating fans. And that's first of our own people. So it's what do you talk about? What do you, what do you, what do the leaders scream from top of the mountaintops? And that's what we focus on. So yeah, it's, it's very unique. So for instance, you know, the globe trotters travel with 30 people on the road. We travel with 120 to 140. We're doing four to five times the amount of people, the pep band, the male cheerleading team, the breakdancing coaches, the players on stilts, the hosts, the DJs. I mean, we go all out. And, you know, it's crazy. Many people would say that's unscalable. And I believe you need to do the unscalable to do the scalable. And so we will go all out to create the greatest show. And that's the best form of marketing. We don't do any traditional marketing, spend zero dollars on marketing, but we spend everything, all our time, energy and resources on the experience that we can give the fans. So is it challenging to, again, we don't manage, is it challenging to lead our group? Yeah, but it, it comes down to empowering your leaders 
to lead the group. We brought in an amazing director of entertainment who helps uh, lead, you know, our cast, which is tremendous. We have a world tour director, Patrick, who's a leader, a director of tickets, Carson, who's amazing. Our president, Jared, has been with us since day one at 24 years old. You know, now he's in his 30s. He's agent. You know, he's ancient now that he's leading us now. But, you know, I think that's uh, you have to trust your staff, empower them to uh, do what's fans first, no matter what. And part of it, too, and I know I've seen, you know, the baseball is the baseball. You're not scripting anything along those lines as well, right? That That is what it is from a baseball sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, literally every single game, uh, every single game, you never know who's going to win. And it's completely unscripted. Uh, the party animals beat the bananas. I mean, they beat them four times on the last tour. And it's very competitive. And that's what makes it interesting. Come down to the last, you know, inning the last batter, the last pitch. I mean, Eric Burns pinch hit himself in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, playing at the oldest ballpark in America, the Rickwood, 10,000 fans. All he needs to do is if he knocks in the guy on third, we go to a showdown. If he knocks in the guy on second, we win the game. And he struck out with two strikes, two, two count. And the game was over. And everyone was like, did that really just happen? And I was like, yeah. And as tough as it is, the party animals celebrated like crazy. They have the time in their life and that's it. But they still had a great show, and I think that's what's great. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, talking about a great show, that's all part of ESPN's Banana Land, the, the series that, that focused on you guys and that tour as well. Did that add another level of stress to, to have those cameras around all the time? And, and again, you, you're trying to get this brand really going, and you have all those cameras there. Was it stressful to, to make sure everything was a success? I can't speak for everyone, but I would say no, because we've had cameras around us since day one and started with ourselves. I mean, we, we were the first team ever to have a videographer like on staff full time back in 2016, our first season. And then we had I mean, we've had Today Show, HBO Real Sports and, uh, you know, Access Hollywood and CBS Sunday Morning. And, you know, we've had very fortunate a uh, ton of national media attention with cameras around for one, two, three days at a time uh, since we started almost. Obviously, it's picked up dramatically over the last year. So we're used to it. Uh, and the more, again, the more you do it, the more you're comfortable with it. So I was always mic'd up. I mean, literally, I'm, like, I'm used to being mic'd up. Like even now today when I go to the bathroom, like I make sure I check I'm not mic'd up, which is crazy because <laughs> the show's, you know, we're not filming season two yet. Like, it's, it's like I'm, but it's just you're used to it. And so that's that's part of what we do. So season two is coming with this new tour. Uh, I can't tomorrow? announce that yet, but there's very good signs. I would say uh, we're really hoping for a season two. We're already filming just in case, and we're having some good conversations right now. Well, again, this tour coming up, it's, it's huge, right? It's, it's starting in February. You're going all through the summer across the country as well. You bring in this whole crew with you. And, 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 and what's your thoughts on, you know, again, sustaining this for, for this amount of time? I'm not interested in sustaining. I think that's a, that's a word like that's like uh, – doesn't interest me at all. What I want to do is continue to reinvent, reimagine and revolutionize the game. And to do that, you have to constantly, again, be experimenting, trying new things, making new a way of life and refreshing everything you do. And so uh, sustaining scares me. Uh, the Globetrotter sustained for many years and they were they changed the game of basketball. Kudos to them in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I have so much admiration and respect for what they did. And I understand the comparisons to us, but I think they have sustained with the same show for many, many years. And it's not as relevant now as it used to be. And that's my biggest fear. I don't want to be irrelevant. And not just because of me. I don't, I don't really care about me, but it's for our team. You know, we're hiring <laughs> at least one full-time person every single week. We've been doing that for months now. And our team is getting very, very big. And I have a lot of people that I want to take care of and my wife and I, and we want to make sure that they continue to thrive, grow with us and develop. Um, and while we make a bigger impact on fans, I mean, I'm not interested in being a billion dollar brand. 
I'm interested in creating a billion fans. And that's what we are focusing on every day, creating new fans in our March to 1 billion. And again, could care less about the dollars, but cared tremendously about the fans. Yeah, as you said, fans first is, is your motto here. You know, you look at the product on the, the field again and, and some of the guys that you've had on your team. How do you get Bill Spaceman Lee? How do you get Jake Peavy? How do you get some of these guys to, to, to want to be a part of what you're doing? I call them. No, I mean, you know, it's so funny. I, I think what I realize, I don't have to sell anybody. All I have to do is get them there the first time. If they see it, Jake saw it the first time and his nephew had actually just quit baseball uh, a week before and said it was too boring. He was over it. And then he watched Banana Ball and he said, I want to play this. And, and he kept playing, kept playing. And he's one of the best players and he still continues to play to this day. Jake was blown away by that. Uh, Bill Lee, we invited him to the tryout. He said, I don't try out. I go, well, Bill, I just want you to see what we're about. This isn't your typical baseball game. He goes, but there's no bunts, right? He goes, I go, yeah. He goes, well, I can't get off the mound that fast anyways. That's a good rule for me. I go, perfect, <laughs> Bill. Let's rock and roll. Uh, you know, same thing with Johnny Gomes and Josh Reddick and Jonathan Papelbon. Once they see it, they're in. And so my goal is to not ask for anything from these guys other than, hey, come and watch a game. Send the dugout. Feel it. Go meet the fans. And so once they do that, uh, I think it's game over. And how is Bill Lee's health? I know, you know, the game that was on ESPN uh, earlier this summer, he had an episode in the, in the uh, you know, warming up. Uh, what's his health like? Yeah, he's great. He's, he's ready. To, I mean, he threw the first pitch the next week for us. Um, so he, he's, he's good to go. Uh, you know, Bill's, Bill's crazy in such a good way. Um, Bill didn't eat anything all day and he only had two energy drinks and he had a challenging day for a few other different reasons and was going back and forth. So all he had as fuel was two energy drinks. Your game on ESPN two crowd sold out and uh, yeah, his just body wasn't, wasn't ready for it at 75 years old. And, but now he's back, he's pitching and he's, he's good to go. All right. Again, and we've been talking about banana ball. Tell us about some of the rules, some of the unique rules that you have and, and some of the ones that maybe have become popular with the fans. Yeah. I mean, the first rule is a two hour time limit. So if the game starts at seven, it's over by nine o'clock. Uh, every inning counts. If you win the inning, you get a point. Uh, the last inning counts the most. Now every run counts in the last inning to make the last inning even more interesting. Uh, there's no stepping out. If you step out of the batter's box, it's a strike. There's no bunting. Bunting sucks. If you bunt, you're thrown out of the game. Batters can steal first. Uh, yes. I mean, any pass ball, take off, you can go. No walks. Walks are so boring. So now on the fourth ball, it's a sprint. The hitter takes off full speed. The catcher has to throw the ball to every player in the field before the ball is live. The hitter can advance to as many bases as possible. There's no mound visits. And if the game's tied by the two-hour timeline, it goes to a one-and-on-one showdown tiebreaker. Pitcher versus hitter with one fielder. The hitter has to score. And then the rule that everyone loves by far is if a fan <laughs> catches a foul ball, it's an out. Yeah, how often does that happen? I, again, watching Banana Land, I, I saw it happen a couple times there, but uh, does that happen often? Yeah, I mean, Kansas City, it happened three times in two games. Montgomery, it happened twice. West Palm, it happened twice. It really depends on the stadiums. It's only happened in Savannah two or three times because it's a tougher stadium for that. But, uh, yeah, you, there's a good chance it can happen, at least every other game. Let's talk about, again, this big tour coming up. Any location that you're really excited about going to? Obviously, you know, you're excited about playing in all of them, but were there specific places that you targeted that you thought you wanted to be and, and, and could be successful there? For this year? Yes. Everything's a test. So we knew uh, Texas had a huge demand and we were right. So we went to Sugar Land and we have requests now for 50,000 tickets. I think the stadium has 9,000 seats. So we're in trouble there. 
Um, you know, we knew we had to go to California. So we did four cities in California up and up and down the uh, coast. Uh, New York, New England, uh, special interest in New England because of our desire to play at Fenway Park. So we want to get around the stadium. So we've got uh, four venues within a couple hours of, of Fenway. So, yeah. And then Cooperstown, obviously, the Hall of Fame reached out to us about putting a few of our artifacts at the hall. And I was like, well, let's turn it into a whole event. Let's have a game. Let's make it fun. And so that's uh, that's that's the plan. And again, 33 cities in some cities, Indianapolis, Des Moines. I mean, just thousands of people requesting tickets. It's pretty special. Yeah, you grew up a Red Sox fan. I guess you were a bat boy at one point for the Red Sox as well. You want to bring this team to, to Fenway. How, how is that going? And how are the, you know, how much are you going to continue to push to get to Fenway? Fortunately, I don't need to push. You know, they called they called me uh, five months ago and then I got another call a couple months ago and then they invited us down, my dad and, uh, you know, my wife. And we went and visited, met with their staff, met with their team and talked about it. And they expressed they want us to be they want Fenway to be the first major league stadium. So um, the challenge is we are getting reached out to by, I would say, two major league teams a week right now. So there's a lot of uh, demand and interest. So we got to make sure it's the right fit. But definitely Fenway is right there on the radar, hopefully for 2024. Again, Savannah Bananas, the Bananas was the right fit. You're the right fit because you got the suit. You got the tux, the, the yellow tux. What did that come into play here? Uh, geez, uh, I mean, I was reading every book by P.T. Barnum back in, uh, you know, when I first started. And I realized if I'm putting on a show, if I'm the ringmaster, if I'm, I'm not going to be like everyone else. I can't dress like everyone else. So, yeah, I first got a black tuxedo and I almost melted because it was 100 degrees. And then I got a yellow one and it fit perfectly and fans loved it. Everyone took pictures and it, it stuck. And this is my uniform when I put it on at showtime. And it's led to a couple of books as well, right? Find Your Yellow Tux, also Fans uh, First, uh, which came out in May of this year as well. I mean, you've got to be exceeding your expectations for yourself of what what you thought maybe this could all turn into. What has it been like from that standpoint? <laughs> you know, one thing I just focus on every single day is trying to create the greatest show possible and the best fan experience. I hate that's a political answer. It's like a Tom Brady answer, like, oh, we're just doing the best we can. But like, that's literally what I focus on. I focus on writing my 10 ideas a day, I focus on, uh, you know, how are we going to create a greater show? What are we going to do to bring the show to more people? And that's what I put my focus on. And luckily, you know, we hear from more media, more fans from all over the world, because I think that's that's what we focus on and that's what they're seeing. So if we keep putting out great, entertaining content, uh, making our product even better and more entertaining, you know, all those amazing moments will keep happening. And, you know, it's just a great byproduct of what we're focusing on. Again, I'm the voice of UNCW. You've got one of our guys, Noah Bridges, uh, on your ah, team. I love Carol Noah. Was there this, this past summer, and he's getting ready for the tour as well. What, you know, what is? It seems like this is a perfect fit for him, knowing Noah Bridges as I do. Uh, what's it been like to have him with you? You know, Noah first stood out. It was the last game of the year, regular season game, and we were playing Wilmington at our ballpark. And their team had like an extra level of energy. Most times teams come into our place like, what did I just walk into? But this guy's like leading everyone, just full energy and getting the crowd going. I'm like, this guy's got something. And so we realized that he graduated college and said, come back for our six games in, in the summer on ESPN and ESPN plus. And he started catching balls barehanded. He started catching balls behind his back. He did more hitting entrances and crazy promotions and inchworms into play. And I was like, this guy was built to be a banana. And so right after those six games, he earned a full-time year round tour contract. And, uh, uh, we're delighted to have him. I think between him and DR Meadows and some of our new guys that we've added from the summer, they bring, I mean, DR catches balls doing backflips in the outfield. I mean, there's things people, you know, major leaguers might not be able to do that we're able to do because that's what we work on. And Noah exemplifies that in more ways than one. So are your, your team set for this tour coming up? Or are you still having tryouts and, and trying to determine yeah, you know, your personnel? 
Yeah, we have an invite invite only tryout. You know, we've we've got about the nucleus of both of our teams, but we already have 15 more spots available for the most entertaining and talented players in the world. And so, yeah, we uh, we'll have a tryout in a couple of weeks, and then we'll be uh, finalizing that roster. Which it's crazy because in 2021, our World Tour was you know a good roster. Then then 2022 last year was was some very some real talent. I mean, like first round draft picks, real prospects. And then this year, I'm looking at the talent. I'm like. This trumps last year by a moonshot. And so that's what I think is happening. And the talent level and the entertainment level is going to continue to increase, which then will just drive any more fans, which will help us on our path towards 1 billion fans. Yeah, you're trying to have some more games against other teams, not just the party animals, but other minor league teams like you did earlier as well? Yeah, we'll probably have 20 to 25 games. I mean, we got international teams coming in. We've got other professional teams. Uh, you know, it, everything's a test. The test against the Kansas City Monarchs was huge last year, another professional team, and we split with them, and the crowd was into it, and it was awesome to see. So that test passed in flying colors, so we're going to do a lot more of that. What's the best way for people to get tickets for this tour coming up? Uh, get on the pre-sale list. So the pre-sale list is over 150000 but pick your city you want to go to, get on there, and we will notify you. Just be ready when it's time to buy, because that is your moment. What is the website? Give us uh, the website there. Uh, just you search Savannah Bananas. It's easy. It's the savannahbananas.com, but yeah. Easy to find. How about, how about for you? Are uh, you on social media? How, how can people follow you as well? Yeah, I spent all my time on LinkedIn. So I've posted over 1,500 times over the last five years. I share the story, share the journey. And every every day, every other day, I'm posting something about uh, the behind the scenes of running the bananas. How about, uh, you mentioned all these interviews you've done. Who has who kind of made you starstruck? You know, Is there anyone that, that you've met during this whole process that you're like, wow? To be honest, that's not me. You know, I've never the guy that gets starstruck. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I realize we're all people. We're all just doing our thing. And so people look at them as star because they were talented and had the opportunity to be on TV more than anyone else. But often the the, the greatest talent, the most uh, impressive celebrities are just like everyone else. And that's that's how I treat it. I mean, we've had huge comedians. I mean, Keith Urban wore our jersey the other night in his, in his concert. I mean, we've got a lot of people that are really uh, jumping on and joining the bananas movement, which is fun to see. Lastly, your wife, Emily, as you see, you proposed to her at a baseball game. How does she do it? I guess she does kind of behind the scenes, the business part of it. How, how well does she do that to kind of keep you doing what you need to do in front of things? Uh, she's amazing. She's the heart of the team. So she looks out. I mean, 1% of the total budget goes to Emily, the top line to spend on surprising and delighting our people. I mean, we've rented party buses to literally uh, give huge gift cards to everyone to go shopping during Christmas. We've turned the ballpark into a spa. Uh, we sent everyone on cruises to Disney. Uh, that's what she does. And uh, it's, it's special. So she takes care of her people, hires her people, leads the operation. And, you know, we're also foster parents. So we have two foster daughters and, you know, we're looking to start a nonprofit to help uh, in that area of the world where there's 500,000 kids uh, in the U S alone who don't have a home. So she's very heavy in that as well. And, you know, we're just getting started with all of it. You know, we're in the first inning of what we're doing and we're excited to see what's ahead. Well, as you said, uh, everyone does their job. You're doing it a little bit better than some other people right now. And uh, Jesse, we certainly appreciate you spending a little time with us. I wish you the best of luck. And and again, from a UNCW perspective, we'll be watching to see uh, just how crazy Noah Bridges can be for the bananas here this year. I'm sure he will uh, surprise and uh, over delight a lot of people. So it's going to be exciting to watch. So I appreciate you. Well, again, my thanks to Jesse for joining us, to Savannah Bananas as well, for arranging that interview here today. High energy guy for sure is Jesse, and be sure to go to their website. Check out their tour coming up as you can see them on one of their stops along the way and see what Banana Ball is all about. As always, we thank you for watching and listening to our episodes. More great guests to come. 
be sure to subscribe and like as well. Thanks for joining us here today in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.